All right, open up your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 25. We're continuing our series on the life of David, and we've come to this moment in David's life that reminded me of an instance I had on I-65 last month. So I'm driving down I-65 from Lebanon. You know, it's three lanes there. I'm in the center lane. I'm going 70-ish, maybe a couple ticks over 70, but not super screaming speeding or just normal 70. I'm talking to my mom on the phone. So I have a cell phone call, chatting her up. And this semi rolls right up. I mean, a, vi- a really like one of those really big like cab truck semis with an oversized load on the back and rolls right up, like right on my bumper. I look to my left, no cars in the left lane. Look to my right, no cars in the right lane. And look in my rearview mirror. I can't see anything but like the grill of the semi. And he starts engine braking. Do you know what that is? So engine braking is when they downshift and it causes the diesel engine to like backfire sounding like really loud. It starts engine braking right on my bumper. And then he, he proceeds then to kind of gas up, engine brake. He kind of had a little game going. I'm trying to talk to my mom on the phone. I know I feel inside of me, okay? I feel this inside. Like this, this blood pressure is rising inside of me. And I'm like, seriously, like... I'm in my 04 Toyota Camry, all right? So here we are, a little 04 Camry trucking down the center lane. And then he pulls out into the left lane, and he pulls right up beside me now. I'm like, serious? Pulls right, and he gets right beside and he stays right beside me. And the engine brakes right at my door, and then he lays on his horn. That's it, it's on now. So right now I'm like, I'm trying to like, I'm trying to like figure out how I'm going to make eye contact. He's like way up there. I'm in my camera, I'm like, oh no, you know, I'm like... <laughs> No, you're not. Listen, I was trying to like make eye contact to wave to kind of give the hand motion. Like, what are you doing? I was not using my middle finger. I'm just being clear. I was using my hand, full hands this way. But the thoughts going through my head were not very pastoral. I'm telling you that right now. So it's going on, and I'm trying to figure out, and he speeds up, and I speed up. And right in the midst of all that, remember, who am I on the phone with? My mom's voice comes through the speaker. Eric, is everything okay? Just that sweet mom tone. I'm like, no, everything's not, yes, everything's okay. But Eric, is everything okay? And then I decelerated, took a deep breath, let the semi truck down the road. You know, anger is one of those emotions that can like jump on you in the midst of what seemed like a fairly normal day in my life. I didn't wake up feeling particularly agitated that day or grumpy even. I was having a nice conversation with my mom. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I'm like adrenaline, blood pressure, face. I'm sure, I mean, the vein in my head, like, it's all on. And anger is one of those um, it's an indicator when something's not right. Like there can be some really good things that can happen out of anger when it's harnessed and directed well. It happens to be in the midst of our sinfulness and fallenness, anger just ends up taking us down a path that generally doesn't lead anywhere good. And that's what we're going to find with David's life today. And so I want to unpack, I want to talk today about kind of the sources of anger, the objects of our anger, and then markers for our anger. Like, how do we know, like, when anger's got its claws and is leading us a place we don't really want to go? And I want to kind of use a story in David's life to kind of use that grid, and hopefully it's a grid that can give us some wisdom and guidance for your own I-65 semi-engine-breaking stories in your own life. 
that way. So in your notes, if you haven't pulled out your bulletin yet, or you can download it on the app, those of you online, you can get electronically, your online host can direct you there. Here's some things in your notes, just a quick summary of sources of anger, like what are some of those triggers inside? Fear, fear of failure, fear of abandonment, fear of rejection, injustice, hurt, betrayal. Some have memories of traumatic events that become a trigger of anger. Or there's just feelings like when your efforts and opinions aren't being appreciated. All of these things can be sources of anger, which moves into then what ends up becoming the object of our anger is that people we're most invested in are often the objects of our anger. For example, our family, our friends, our coworkers, our church family, like those who you have the most relational investment in, those who you're spending the most time with, tend to be in the sphere of on the receiving end of anger. It's not always the random stranger on I-65 in the semi, okay? It's usually the people who are closest to us, right? And then there's the people whom we have hard conversations with, especially if you're in a work setting and you're in relationship with coworkers or supervisor kind of relationship. When you have to have some difficult conversations, they can be the source or it can be the object of anger in those settings or people whom we believe have wronged us. We just feel like they didn't handle that right. They didn't treat you that way right. They didn't whatever right. You're just like, from your seat, that's not right. And so that can be an object of anger, which when you look at that list, do you see how often then we can throw God into the object of our anger? Because God's a relationship we've got a lot invested in. God's a relationship we have a lot of hard conversations about. Like we pour out our hearts to God. And God's are, sometimes God's ways, have you figured out yet? They're like, a long ways beyond our ways, like 15.5 billion light years above my ways, is how Isaiah puts it. God's ways are higher than my ways, as high as the heavens are above the earth. So God's ways can be mysterious, like, God, I don't understand what you're doing there. And do you see how we're not careful, and the Psalms are filled with them, or examples of this authentic expression of anger towards God about what He's doing and how He's operating in and around and through our lives. And so God can be, it's not just people at times. And then here are some markers to know, like, when you know anger's got its claws in the heart, I call it a level nine reaction to a level two situation. You have those? Like, you just, the situation is a level two, but your response is, like, off the charts. Been there? Like, you're just triggered in such a way. So, boom. And then another marker for anger is, it usually moves you into a place of kind of rushing, rushing into decisions down a path that the Bible describes as foolishness. In other words, it's not marked with a lot of wisdom. We don't take time to step back and think through the path you're on, which is wisdom would be like wisdom to be step back, take a breath, assess, input. When you're just kind of rushing and deciding and moving forward, that's a good, like anger can lead you there. Like you just get so it's like, ah, oh, you're crazy. And so I want you to just kind of use this grid, right? you got the sources, the objects, and the markers of anger. I want you to keep that grid before us and now enter David's story where David's having what seemed like a normal day in the life of, life with God, just having a normal day, cruising down I-65, and then something's about to jump all over him this way. Verse 2, 1 Samuel 25, a certain man in Moan, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. That word wealthy literally means loaded. That's what it's translated in the Hebrew, loaded. He had a 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep. 
which was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband, a Calebite, was surly. Surly means like stubborn or belligerent. Not a complimentary term. Surly and mean in his dealings. So this guy was not the kind of guy you wanted to hang out with, and he's married to a woman who's unbelievably beautiful, intelligent, kind, and gracious. I know that never happens today, but just kind of imagine if those kinds of things might have happened, where you leave a setting and you're like, how did that guy get with that? Yeah, anybody had those? Like, how did that happen? Well, that's this situation, all right? Nabal and Abigail, and now David's on the scene. Verse 4, while David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him by na- in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. You know, like, what's all that about? Like, why is David being extra gracious and courteous in his greeting? So backstory here, we know that David has been running in the wilderness, hiding in the deserts from Saul, right? Saul, first king of Israel. David appointed a second king of Israel. First king is intimidated by the growing momentum and popularity of David. Like his Instagram followers are going off the charts. Saul's is kind of stabilized. Saul doesn't like the new hit song on the radio. Saul's the king. He's got all the military at his disposal. He says, take David out. So David's on the run, a total of about 13 years. He's appointed king at age 17. He spends about 13 years out in the desert, in the wilderness, running for his life. Saul's after him. He's running. He's hiding. Last week, he's in En Gedi, and he's in and out of the caves. This is David's journey. And so David, while he's out in the desert and in the wilderness, here's what he's doing. Because it was kind of a courteous thing to do. He had 600 men with him. He would protect the flocks that he would come across. For example, Nabal. He had quite a large flock, thousands and thousands of sheep covering lots and lots of acres. Nabal's flock was very large, so David was in the proximity. And here's what David took upon himself with his 600 men. He would protect Nabal's flocks from bandits, from robbers, from people who would want to come in and destroy and harm and steal some of the, some of the flock. So David took it upon himself, not just Nabal's. He sounded like David just kind of did this wherever he went. Wherever he went, kind and courteous thing to do. He had 600 men. He had a lot of downtime. He's just kind of hanging out in the desert, in the wilderness. What shall I do? I can protect some of this guy's flocks. Well, sheep shearing time meant payday. It meant the courteous thing to do. It wasn't law. It was a kind of a courtesy. It was an unwritten rule that the landowners would go and compensate those nice kind of desert wandering folks who protected their flock. So David sends tent sheep shearing time, payday, time to kind of have a little, you know, tip based on what he and his crew had done. So David sends the crew there. So see, it's a little, so that's why he's greeting and expecting a response that he didn't quite receive. This is how Nabal responded, verse 10. Nabal answered David's servants, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? Notice as I read it, I emphasized I and my. Did you see it all through the text? Here's Nabal's life. It's covered up with Nabal. 
It's bounded on four sides with Nabal, 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 and Nabal. That's his life. He does what he wants, how he wants, when he wants, and he doesn't care who, who offers any input any other way. He's just going to do whatever Nabal wants to do. And right now, interestingly, he's like, who's David, um, future king? Like, like, whoa, that shows you how, right, how his life's kind of just turned in on itself. He's not even aware that David were talking about here. Hey, this is the king in waiting here that's having a conversation about, you might want to tip him for how he's taking care of your flocks for you. It's like, who is this guy? Get him out of here. I don't need to share anything with that crew. And so he's just, whew, right there. He's just in this spot. Now, verse 12, follow this. David's men turned around and went back. So the men go back to report to David. Nabal's response. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, put on your swords. So they put on their swords, and David put on his. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. Are you kidding me? Do you think 400 take care of it? Nabal, right? I, I, Nabal, he, he's, what's the source of David's anger? Injustice. That's not right. He's not treating me right. That's the source. The object of his anger is more of a landowner. Think of it as kind of an employer-employee relationship. The landowner is not treating him right. And the marker of David's anger is what? He's going level nine. I mean, right out of the gate, he finds out Nabal doesn't want to send him any, basically give him a tip at all. Doesn't want to give him food, drink, anything. Just says, no. He says, get my sword. Bring me my sword and get 400 men. We're rolling to Nabal's house. Oh, leave 200 behind for the supplies. How do you like that ratio? You think, like, that's when you know, right? You're going level nine, and he's being drugged down, and just immediately right there. I mean, anger's just all over him, just jumping on him. To what degree do you want it? Just to make sure you understand how full throttle anger is in David now, jump down to verse 21. Here's what gives you an indication of where it's going. It's been useless, David says, all my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing of his was missing. He's paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. Whoo! David is hot now. I mean, he triggered, right, and just boom, inside of David. Now, this is a good point to remember. David's life is set before us not as an ideal life, but as a real life. David's a real man, not a perfect man, who deals with real emotions, who makes real mistakes, who says things he shouldn't say, who does things he shouldn't do, who makes foolish decisions at times, who, who in an attempt to maybe, he wants to honor God and do his best, sometimes he's caught up in a situation like this, and he's not responding the way God in this moment would want him to respond. That's real life, not an ideal life, real life stuff. Just because you link your life up with God doesn't mean you're exempt from anger jumping all over you, rising up within you, or, or being triggered in such a way where you have to learn how to harness this, control this. It's the fruit of the spirit of self-control, that inside there's this trigger that says, Put, give me my sword and get 400 men. We're going to take Nabal out. Not just Nabal, every other man associated with him. So David is completely level nine in this situation. Do you see that marker in there? And he's going down this path of foolish. I mean, he's piling on. That's why David is such a good companion for us when we look at our own spirituality and are, are honest about our own failures and our own falling, right? It's like David, real life. Just like any of us can have like, 
what seemed like a normal day turned into a, give me my sword. Let's go take this guy. I was like, whoa, and just like this. And anger now going off the charts. It's fueled full throttle in David's life. And now right here, God steps in. And aren't you grateful God steps in? Do you know sometimes God has to get in the way to show us the way? Have you figured that out with God? Sometimes God gets in the way, like right in the middle of our path to show us the way. It's kind of like the voice on the other end. Eric, is everything okay? It's like right there. Wait, wait, wait. So God's going to step in the way of David. This is where God does, right? Come to us and we're, man, we're triggered. We're going level nine. We're heading down a path of foolishness. God steps in the way. And let's see how he does it now through a young lady named Abigail. Verse 23, Abigail sees David coming. She quickly got off her donkey, bowed down before David with her face to the ground. So Abigail gets word David and 400 men are coming and it isn't like a welcoming party coming and going to wipe out everyone in the town, including Nabal, her husband. So she bows down, verse 24. She fell at his feet and said, My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. So as much she thinks of her husband, <laughs> right? Woo. He is just like his name. His name is fool, and folly goes with him. This isn't really great marriage counseling text right here. That's just a different conversation, another day for another topic in this. Stay with me here. But as for me, your servant, I do not see the men my master sent. So you see, here's name. God's going to step in David's way to show him the way. He steps in his way through a young lady named Abigail. You know, sometimes God does that. God will send a person, Right? He'll send a person, just the right person, just the right time, just the right text, just the right phone call, just the right conversation, just the right time to step in. And Abigail's word to David is this, David, don't stoop to his level. You're too good a man for this. You hear that? That's kind of what's coming. Hey, he's nuts. This guy is surly and mean and belligerent. You are right. to. Uh, he, he's not treating you right. That's like every Tuesday in Nabal's life. That's just Tuesday. He's just not treating people right. She's like, David, you're better than that. You're a better man than that. Don't go Nabal on this story. Don't stoop to his level. And she's trying to like, can you picture David? He's got his sword out. He's got his 400 men. He's got his adrenaline. He's got his blood pressure up. I mean, he's, he's ready to roll. And Abigail steps in. And now watch, 28 and 29. She continues her speech, please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty, this is Abigail to David, for my master, because he fights the Lord's battles. So she's speaking about what she's seen David do, he fights the Lord's battles, let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. Verse 29, even though someone is pursuing you to take your life the life of my master will be bound securely, underline this, in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as, for, as from the pocket of a sling. How great is that imagery? Bound together in the bundle of the living by the hand of the Lord your God. 
See, Abigail's saying, David, David, remember? You're the guy. You're the guy who is handled with tremendous self-control and self-restraint. The king who's been tracking you to kill you. David, remember the cave in En Gedi when you refused to clutch and grasp what was in your reach? You could have killed him, but you just took off a piece of his robe. Do you remember that? David, remember the patience that you've demonstrated and the confidence you've had in God that he's going to come through? David, look. Look at this pattern that you haven't pulled out the sword to fight all the battles. You put your sword away. Don't go Nabal on the story and let God fight your battle. Do you see this counsel she's given him? Let the Lord fight this, David. He's demonstrated to you over and over again that he's strong and capable to fight whatever battle you're in. Put away the sword. Call off the men. Take a breath. Sometimes God's got to stand in the way to show us the way. And right now, we're going to learn a lot about David based on his response. How many of you have been there? How many of you have been there? You've committed yourself to a pathway. Like, you're convinced this is what needs to be done. Could be at home, could be at work, could be in ministry, whatever. You're convinced this is how this needs to be handled. And you move out to handle this, and you realize maybe overreacting the situation, maybe you're rushing in foolishness, whatever. God sends and Abigail in the path to show you a way to speak some words in. Right there, you're going to learn a lot about someone, right? Their response to a moment where God's trying to come to him, bring some truth to the situation, get him to redirect. Let's see what, we, what happens now with David's life. Verse 32, David says to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. How about that? What's the first thing he recognizes? God sent you. Guys, it's not just random human conversations that happen, right? If we believe God's a God of detail, God cares about the details of our life, do you know that all the interactions we have all leak one? God's a part of that. Like God can send just the right person at just the right time for just the right conversation. If we're like David, if we're alert to it, it's like, he says, Abigail, the Lord sent you. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Again, tells you what he was planning on doing. Blood. I mean, he was seeing blood. He was ready to all blood. And how about the courage of Abigail here? Many of you have been the friend who's maybe had to step in the way to help show someone the way. Have you had to do that before? That's not easy. When you know a person, friend, family member, church family member, loved one, right, brother, sister in Christ, you see them going down a path, you have the kind of relationship you're praying for them, and you know the Lord's like, Lord, really? I'm the one that's supposed to have the chat? Yep. You take some courage there, right? To sit down and to be honest like Abigail is and say, you know, I don't, I don't, know that you, I don't think you want to do that. You're better than that. That's not what the Lord wants. Put away the sword. Let him fight that battle. Take a step back. Take a breath. Think this through. Aren't you grateful for people in your life like that? I'm so grateful I've got people in my life like that. I don't always receive it on the front end, always great. I'm sure the initial's like, wait. And then, hey, 
if we're like Dave, we recognize, hey, that person is a gift from the Lord to listen, take a breath, step back, takes humility, right? You learn a lot about David's character. You see this? This is why the Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart. Not because he's a man who's perfect, who doesn't make mistakes, who isn't prone to making some foolish decisions, who doesn't have anger jump all over him and go, how does he? Not because he's a man who doesn't say, go and get the swords and the 400 men. It's because he's a man who even when he's heading down the wrong path, when God steps in, David's response, when he knows God's the one who says, put the sword away, what's David going to do? He's going to put the sword away. That's a man after God's own heart, is that when their way is confronted with God's way, right? When, when our way is confronted with God's way, we allow our way to bow and surrender. We say, you know what, God? I may not understand. I may not even fully agree. But if I'm confident it's your way that's confronting my way right there, I'm going to surrender. And that's why David is such a great profile for us of a real life, not an ideal life, but a real life who's really fired up right now and his adrenaline's really going, his blood pressure's really high and he's really going to take some men out until Abigail steps in, actually until the Lord steps in. And he recognizes that it is the Lord and he says, you know what? I'm going to choose wisdom here. I hear God's voice say, put down the sword. I'm going to put it down. I hear the voice say, hey, let the Lord fight that battle. You know the Lord's way better at fighting our battles than we are anyway? He's way better at it. Just takes a lifetime to learn that. But the, God's way better, David, at fighting this battle. Like Abigail saying, hey, let the Lord fight this battle. Look what he's done for you with Saul. The king and all the army have been after you for years, and here you are. Look at how he's watched over you and provided for you and protected you. Let the Lord fight this battle. He can handle Nabal. If he can handle Saul, he can handle that. Relax, put your sword away, let the Lord fight this. You hear that? And now let's watch what happens right here, 37 and 38. Abigail goes back home because David puts his sword down, calls the men off. They don't go trotting into Nabal's house to take him out. They go home. Then Abigail goes home. Shocker, Nabal's, you know, completely drunk. He's blasted. She can't even have a conversation with him because he's so out of it. She has to wait till the next morning when he's sobered up some. So he's hungover now, and she's delivering these news. Verse 37, then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things. She basically told him the story. And his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. So sometimes the Lord fights our battle for us like that, swiftly. Not often, but sometimes. Like swiftly, it's hours or days from whatever setting you're in, whatever battle you fight. You put your sword down, you say, Lord, I need you to step in and fight this. Sometimes it's like that. But oftentimes, it's much more progressively. It's a longer and slower, kind of little by little journey to deal with the Nabal-like injustices in our lives. But whether swiftly or whether progressively, right, here's the posture I think we can learn from David is to to say, okay, what's the source of my anger here? For David's, it was injustice. That's not right. 
The object of his anger was someone who he had kind of a business relationship with at some point. He's like an employer-employee. That's not right. I'm upset at the landowner. And the markers that anger was running at level nine, heading down a path of foolishness, rushing into it. Okay, there's this grid. And then God steps in. God says, I'm going to step in the way to show you the way through a young lady named Abigail. And Abigail's going to be a voice of wisdom that says, David, you're too good a man for this. Don't go down that road. Don't stoop to Nabal's level. Put down your sword. Let God fight this battle. He's way better at it anyway. David, no doubt, takes a deep breath or two, puts down his sword, calls off his men, heads home. Ten days later, Nabal's dead. And listen, for some of you, you come in this morning, and maybe you come in, maybe this morning you're just wound up with anger at something. Maybe you woke up this morning, maybe you had that kind of a week, maybe you had that kind of a weekend, maybe you had that kind of a morning. But you, this wad of anger inside of you, and right now, look, hey, sift through the, what, what's the source of that anger? Be clear with the object of that anger. Do a little measuring with the markers of anger. And now, ask if you're seeing the Lord kind of stand in the way. Maybe this morning, maybe, this, maybe a service like this, a message, maybe this is part of the way the Lord kind of steps. Hey, hey, pause here. Put down the sword. Step back. Take a deep breath. Let the Lord fight this battle. He's real, way better at it anyway. Let God step in. And then here's what we can rest in. Hey, sometimes God fight. He can do it today. Could be 10 days, could be 10 months, could be 10 years, right? Whether swiftly or progressively, here's what the Scripture says. Here's what we can rest in. Psalm 37 says, justice and righteousness will shine like the noonday sun. Here's what we know. Jesus is going to get the last word in every single Nabal-like circumstance of our life. I know it's hard, gang. It's really hard when that doesn't happen in this life. It's really hard. And some of you are carrying that. Some of you are working through that in your own relational worlds. And we do our part to handle it the way God wants it handled. Which, by the way, God steps in and be your defender and will fight your battles. As long as, right, we're going down a path that he can defend and he's honoring the way we're handling it. Like David. David steps back, puts his swords away, and God steps in to fight his battle for him. God was not going to honor and bless if David just went, you know, full-on 400 men and swords and blood. That wasn't... We can't be like saying, I'm going to do it my way and God needs you to bless that. No, it's a relinquishment and a surrender to say, you know what? I may not fully understand. I don't like what I'm going through, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my sword down. I'm going to recognize the source and object and marker for my anger. And I'm going to intentionally ask God to step in and fight this battle. And of course, selfishly, often we're like, Lord, swiftly would be great. But even if it's progressive, here's what we can rest in. He'll get the last word. All the injustices, all the Nabal-like realities we're battling will be set right one day. And justice and righteousness will shine like the noonday sun. And can you just imagine what it would be like as a community if we just kind of banded together to handle the emotion of anger this way? with each other. Because listen, being a part of a larger church family together, are you kidding me? 
It's just in your own in your own biological families. Look how easy it's to be triggered. Imagine that across several hundred other people in the body of Christ, and then throw the spiritual battle on top of it, and you go, you've got all the ingredients for plenty of just driving down I-65, just having a phone chat with my mom, and then Eric, is everything okay? Because sometimes God's going to stand in the way to show you the way. Let's pray. Father, I think of the many circumstances either in this room or joining us somewhere around the country online. And deep down in our hearts, we're all, we're all going through some level of, that's not right. Something at work, something at home, something at church. Somewhere, somehow, some way, we've all got some Nabal-like stuff going on. And right now, I just ask you to give us the collective gift now, the fruit of the Spirit of self-control coming on our behalf. Holy Spirit, come, help us take a deep breath, help us have wisdom and clarity on the source and object and markers for our anger. And then right now, can we just all make a decision, you know what? We're going to put down that sword. And in doing so, it's not like we're going to ignore the battle. We're actually going to ask the Lord now to step in and fight this battle for us. Lord, come to our aid. Come to our assistance. Make a way when there doesn't seem to be a way. We can only see the sword as the way through, but the Lord say, hey, put that sword down. Let me fight this for you. And then would you give us the faith and the perseverance and the trust to wait on you, to, tr to trust in you through, if it's not swift, if it's not 10 days, if it turns more like 10 weeks or 10 months or 10 years, that we would trust you, that little by little you're fighting that battle. And even if we have to get all the way to the end, uh, thank you that we're promised when we take our last breath here and our first breath in glory, thank you that we're going to breathe an air where justice and righteousness will shine like the noonday sun. Thank you that you promised You'd get every last word and you'd set it right. Help us rest in that today, we pray in Jesus' name.